Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Precept Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of 2 Thessalonians. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're working through 2 Thessalonians. Hope that um, the time that you've been spending in the, in the podcast listening has been a fruitful opportunity for you to dig further into the scriptures. Hope you're studying uh, this letter on your own as well, or in one of our online classes. Just a couple of things before we get going this week uh, to encourage you to participate in. First of all, I want to remind you again about the upcoming Hold Fast conference. It is quickly approaching. This conference is with Kay and David Arthur, and they are going to be teaching through the book of First Peter. If you are on the podcast and you are listening in and you participated in one of the live versions of the conference with Kay and David, uh, I want to encourage you to uh, think about coming back, attending again. Here's why. A couple reasons. One is uh, that the message of First Peter uh, is more applicable today than ever before. Uh, Looking at how to hold fast and stand firm in the midst of suffering and persecution. Uh, This seems to be um, rising up in North America, as we've talked about in this podcast in the past. Uh, There seems to be uh, a lot hanging on the presidential election in the United States in where culture will go, where religious freedoms will go. Same with uh, in our own country here in Canada. So we want to be paying attention as believers of how we can best uh, endure, respond to what's going on around us in the world. Secondly, uh, the recording and the conference that uh, we are putting up in November, the first weekend in November, is not just a replay of the conferences held in British Columbia and in Ontario. This is all new content that uh, Kay and David have worked through, adding two sessions, so two one-hour sessions each to the conference. And the reason we can do this online in the virtual format is because we're not limited by the uh, church Um, schedule. So when we were in the churches, we had to uh, end the conferences at different times due to upcoming services that churches were having, programs, and of course, uh, being 
having churches ready for their Sunday morning services as well. So this conference will be Friday night, uh, the first weekend in November, Friday night, and then it will go into Saturday evening with a nice little break for you in the afternoon so that you don't feel like you're sitting in front of a television all day long uh, studying uh, the scriptures. Not that there's anything wrong with that, folks. Uh, more than happy to participate in that. Breakout sessions as well to encourage people to go deeper in the scriptures, learn some new skills, how to disciple others. Uh, you want to participate in this, I want to encourage you, register preceptministries.ca and uh, find out more about that. Uh, encourage your friends to attend as well. Anyone who's dealing with, um, you know, some difficulties in figuring out how, how to endure, how to stand strong, how to stand firm uh, in the midst of what they're seeing around the world. Because uh, let me tell you, man, the, uh, the world... Uh, it seems to be, especially North America and United States of America, seems to be at a boiling point. You just don't know uh, what's going to happen. But the encouraging thing is, God knows. It's not outside of God's plan. And God's word has given us a way to respond in the midst of that as believers and respond well. So uh, register, again, preceptministries.ca. Also want to encourage you to, to keep an eye on on what we're doing uh, with training. Uh, seminars uh, like How the Bible Fits Together webinar coming up uh, that you can participate in, as well as uh, some of our uh, skills workshops, like How to Study a New Testament Letter or uh, Old Testament History and Prophecy. Uh, just some great tools to get under your belt as you uh, are challenged to dig further into the scriptures. Uh, we are a ministry that wants to disciple you and encourage you uh, to get into God's word for yourself. Engage with God in his word. And so this podcast is a, is a ministry of precept, but it is not the ministry of precept. The ministry of precept is getting into the scriptures through the inductive Bible study method and learning God's truth on your own as well as studying and discussing with others. If that sounds like something that can encourage you, I would ask that you go to our website, get involved in an online class. Uh, local classes are starting up, even in the midst of this pandemic. Find one near you on our, our class uh, site. All right, that's it for all the advertisements that I have for you. Now we're ready to get into 2 Thessalonians. Let's pray. Let's uh Find out what God has for us today. Father, we pray that as we uh, dig into your scriptures and we again look at eschatology, that you would uh, guide us, that you would direct us, that your spirit would speak uh, through me, that, Lord, as we uh, walk through these um, truths today, that it's not for the purpose of all this head knowledge, but it is for the purpose of heart transformation. For all of these things that we look forward to in the future, God, would you guide us and direct us in how we can apply these truths, how we can uh, begin to uh, or continue to look forward to your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So folks, we are uh, kind of sticking in this eschatology this week. We, last week we, uh, we did a timeline. If you, if you wrote out the timeline in the last episode, 
Uh, fantastic. We're going to add to that timeline today, but just let me review as a part of the, the timeline that we created last week that there, the event that we're discussing and we're talking about uh, is the coming and gathering of uh, the, the Lord's people as well as the overarching theme of chapter 2, which is the day of the Lord. And so uh, what we've got here is we have this church that's been given false teaching regarding uh, the coming of Jesus and the gathering to the point that they believe that they have missed what we also could title as the rapture. Since the persecution was increasing at such a high rate, the furnace was being turned up on them, as we've, we've talked about in the, in the last few episodes, that as the persecution increased, uh, the, they were being shaken by these teachings that it's quite possible that they were in the day of the Lord and they missed the coming and gathering uh, to heaven. We also know, and we'll look at this in just a few minutes, that this is not the first time that this whole eschatology or end times focus has uh, come to light. It also came to light in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. We will spend some time in those chapters again today, but want to encourage you to, to go back and listen to the 1 Thessalonians podcast as we've gone a little bit deeper in into the subject there, okay? So what we've got now is we're, the whole context of this is the coming and gathering in the day of the Lord. In our timeline, we had um, that the coming and the gathering, there were some things that preceded or came before this coming and gathering. That would be that the there was the mystery of lawlessness that was already at work that there was somebody who was restraining uh, the lawless one and that at the proper time, at the right time, this lawless one would be revealed. Now, when we created our timeline, we had the coming and gathering of believers uh, happening before the man of lawlessness revealed. The man of lawlessness would sit on the throne, he would display himself as God. Second Thessalonians also describes that he would come uh, with deception and lies, and the uh, would work in the activities of Satan, and that he would be uh, on the throne displaying himself as God. Now, the interesting aspects of this is he will will do that for a period of time, and in that period of time. Go and study the book of Daniel to learn more about these periods of time. But this period of time and would then uh, bring about the day of the Lord and the second coming. And at that second coming, 2 Thessalonians tells us that the lawless one will be slain, that there will be judgment, and that there will be relief for those who are uh, believers who are still uh, present. So what we've got is we want to walk through uh, these passages today and we want to look first at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. So uh, if you've got your Bible with you, you want to you wanna open it up and you want to look at uh, what we're going to see here together. All right, so what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, verses 
13 to 18 is this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that we will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this way we see to you, uh, say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive in and remain will be caught up uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, First uh, Thessalonians, the problem was there was people dying pre-coming uh, to Jesus, Christians who were dying, whatever the reason they were dying. But the, the question became, well, what happens when a Christian dies? What happens if they die before the coming of Jesus Christ? And so uh, the, the two events of First, Second, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are very similar. So now listen to the, the terminology that, that comes. And if you had that timeline and you wrote it out, you should have it beside you because as we look at this week, we're going to be back in the same events, the rapture and the coming uh, second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. So what you have here in verse 17 for a minute is it says, we who are alive will be caught up together with them, those who had fallen asleep. And we will meet the Lord in the air and we'll be with the Lord always. Now, if I go over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we have this um, this idea and this principle of what Paul was writing in regards to the, the church being shaken. And he says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord and the gathering together uh, to him. So the events of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in this being caught up with him in the air and the coming and gathering, or the perusia, which was the Greek word, which is bringing everybody together, is in reference to the rapture. We're talking about the very same event. So the concern was about those who would die pre-rapture, what would happen to them? Well, Paul addresses this, and he addresses this not in First Thessalonians, but that's the beauty of interpretation. So as we observe the text, we're looking at things like, what is the topic? What is, what is being said about the topic? And then we're going back into uh, cross-referencing to help us better understand um, what we're being talked about. So the question at hand is, what happens when a Christian dies? Well, Paul addresses this in, first, in Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24, he tells us more about Paul's desires. Listen to what he says. He says, for to, me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed for both directions, having the desire to part, to be with Christ, 
for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Yet to um, convinced of this, I know that I will be, I, I will remain and continue um, with you for the progress in and the joy and the faith. So what you've got here is you've got this uh, individual Paul who's really torn. His heart's desire, his his great desire is for him to be present with the Lord. He he wants to be with the Lord because to be with the Lord is gain. Uh, there's nothing, uh, there's work to do on this earth. There's, there's populate heaven and plunder hell work to do. But as a citizen in heaven, you want to go home. And that's what Paul does. He wants to be with the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. As I look around the world that we live in right now, uh, I too have this desire. I so uh, want Jesus to come and set up his kingdom. Uh, This world is filled with so much hate. Uh, As I'm recording this right now, uh, an announcement came through that the president of the United States and his wife have come down with COVID-19 and uh, are heading into quarantine. If you were to, at this time, were to go on social media, there are people that are wishing that this couple would die, that they're calling that the very fact that this is karma for behavior, the, the vitriol and the anger and the hate that is in the world right now. And what blows my mind by all this Ladies and gentlemen, we are in this point when the lawless one is still restrained. And yet we're seeing all of this lawlessness and vitriol and hate in the world. It's absolutely disgusting. I'm at the point right now where I'm about to dump every social media that I currently use because I want nothing to do with the negativity that is going on in this world. It's disgusting. It's not biblical. And there are Christians who are involved in it, which is even worse. But here you have Paul who has this desire for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Take me. Let me leave this earth. But I know that if I'm still here, there's work for me to do. There's work for me to accomplish because you can see the desperate need for the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate the lives of these people who are so filled with sin and hate. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he also addresses what happens when a Christian dies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 6 to 8, he says, Therefore, uh, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. 
Therefore, also have as our ambition, whether you are at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So what Paul's stated here is that when we are here in our physical body, we know this. This is, this is very easy to understand. When we're here and in our physical body, we are not present with the Lord. But when we are not in our physical body, we are present with the Lord. So now I'm going to take us back to First, uh, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. And just to look at the basis of our understanding, because I want to add this to the timeline. There's one little thing we're going to add to it uh, this week, and then uh, we can see how all of this works. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he says, first, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I want you to know, I want you to understand what happens when a Christian dies. And so what he says is, um, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Uh, For this we say to you, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So what you have here on the timeline is at the very beginning before he who restrains and uh, the mystery of lawlessness is at work, draw a cross. Because at the cross, when Jesus did the sanctifying work and he brought forgiveness of sins, he defeated death. Uh, Death was swallowed up in victory at the cross. All right, sin was defeated in Jesus, and Jesus now, uh, by his blood, sanctifies, justifies us before God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are no longer destined for wrath. So here we have that when when the cross is there, the action of the cross, uh, draw an arrow that goes up after the cross, Because what we have here is that when a Christian dies, they are no longer in their physical body, but they are present with the Lord. That's that's what happens when a Christian dies. When they die, their body buried into the ground. For many years, I worked in a funeral home. I've seen what happens as a result of the physical death. And then we celebrate that the... uh, soul and life of a believer is now present with the Lord. So uh, there is a wonderful study, all right, and I'm hoping, all right, there should be after this podcast, uh, people going to our website and picking up this Bible study. And I want to encourage you to pick up this Bible study because there is a lot of fear surrounding this. There's a lot of fear in understanding what happens when a Christian dies. And so you can study the book called Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death. It is a phenomenal study written by Bob and Diane Vereen and Kay Arthur. It's a 40-minute Bible study, and it will walk you through 
all of the passages that we've just brushed over very quickly, but it will go into even more depth about what happens when a Christian dies and what happens when an unbeliever dies. That book, in Bible study, because you're looking directly at the scriptures, will help to answer any of the questions concerning about those two topics, but it also should help remove the fear if you truly are one who has the knowledge and understanding that Jesus died for your sins, that you are a true child of God, that you know that when you die, you leave your physical body behind and you are now present with the Lord. I want to walk you back through um, the First Thessalonians. One more point there is that uh, it tells us that even those who are alive at the coming of Jesus will be gathered up, but they will not go before those who are dead. We won't leave before those who have dead will be present with the Lord, which is very interesting and a great topic to dig into, but we don't have the time today to, to really dive into that. Heaven, hell, life after death, does dive into that. It gets into so much depth. You see, there's so many what I want to call rabbit trails, but so many worthy rabbit trails to go down in each of these passages. But for our sake, we are overviewing and we're looking at just the general topics of here's what happens when a Christian dies. They're present with the Lord. A believer, if they're around at the second coming of Jesus Christ and they're still in their physical body at the coming and gathering, they will be caught up and all will be gathered together with Jesus. Those who are dead, those who are alive, all will be present with the Lord. That's the important part to know. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, so now I want to walk you through uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a subject that we have covered a number of times uh, through the podcast, but it's so worth going back again and looking at um, what Paul has to say about this very same event, this coming and gathering of believers, okay? So this will help to solidify, remember, heaven, hell, life after death, 40-minute Bible study, grab it online, preceptministries.ca, because again, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of those passages that we're going to look at in that Bible study. So here you have in verse 51, he, saw, he says, behold, uh, verse 50, I'll start there. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable, imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of a lot, an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
So uh, sometimes I wish I would look at these scriptures and I would wonder if Paul could could just get a little bit more clarity. Can you can you tell me this in a in a simpler way? Well, uh, I think that we can break this down and, and understand. First and foremost, anything born of this creation, flesh of this creation, this marred creation, as we were born into sin, we inherited sin from Adam. So therefore, uh, when we were born into this world, we were already credited as sinners. The moment we left the womb, credited as sinners. And nothing that is perishable, this physical body that is breaking down, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, As the number of years that I've been running and doing Ironmans, there are days when you're trying to get out of bed and it's hard. Your, your physical body is breaking down. I had a conversation with one of my staff members uh, this week who's, who's a, a guy around my age. And I, and I started to ask the question about, like, when's that real turning point, you know? When's that real turning point in which you know that your body is really breaking down? Like your head your mind tells you that you are still feeling like you're in your 18, 19, 20-year-old. You jump off cliffs and you dive in the water and you, you do all these crazy things. And, and then all of a sudden there's that turning point where you realize and you look at your child's um, trampoline in the backyard and you're like, man, I'd love to jump on that, but I know if I jump on that, that I'm pretty much going to be sore and in bed for the next two days because, well... My body is breaking down. You see, something like that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It also tells us the perishable uh, cannot put on the imperishable. All right, so, uh, but he says here, let's walk through. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. So what Paul's already telling us in 1 Thessalonians is that some have died and some won't. But we will all be changed when we are caught up and we are gathered together, that perusia, we will be changed. It will be in the twinkling of an eye that we are before the presence of the Lord. There, I think there's far too many people that have developed their their doctrine on eschatology from those Left Behind series. So, so the question becomes, will it be like the Left Behind, where people are, you know, there's airplanes flying without pilots, and nobody knows. Nobody knows what that's going to be. But the reality is we know that in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. How will we be changed? We will be changed from perishable to imperishable. How does that happen? There's only one way in which that happens. Are you ready for it? Wait for it. In the margin of my Bible, it says, you can't do it, but it can be done. Well, what can't I do? I can't put on the imperishable, but it can be done. How is it done? It is done through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he saved us from our sins, when we repent, when we make him Lord over our life, when we bow at his feet, that we now live the life that he desires for us to live versus the life we desire to live, 
We have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living within us, and therefore we have the ability to put on the imperishable at that time. It's only through Jesus that we can inherit the kingdom of God. And when the perishable becomes imperishable, that's what Jesus has done for us. He says, in the moment of a twinkling an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, we will be changed. The perishable must put on the imperishable. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven if you are in your mortal, perishable body. But look at the end of this, and I just love this. And uh, this is really the beginning of another uh, episode of a podcast in First Corinthians. But look what we can say. If we are an imperishable body, if we even living on this earth with the hope of the rescue that's to come, the knowledge that this will be us, that in the twinkle of an eye we will be changed, this, this mortal body, this perishable body that we have will be changed. Look at our response. Death will be swallowed up in victory. I love the next verse. It's, it's really one we should include, but it's, Oh, death, where is your victory and where is your sting? Well, when I read that, um, I look at it as sort of this um, playground kind of deal where you're looking at your enemy and you're like, come on, bring it. What do you got? You've got nothing on me. Why do you have nothing on me? Because you don't have victory over me. Because you see Jesus through his blood and the work of the cross, he has given me the imperishable. It's like talking smack to the enemy. You got nothing on me, man. You don't have victory. Yeah, my perishable is going to die, but when I, am, when I die, I will be present with the Lord. I will put an imperishable body I will have this, you know, resurrected, wonderful body. I won't have the creaks and the pains and the hurts that I did in my perishable body. I'm getting a new one. It's very interesting to note that in verse 52, he says, In the twinkling of an eye at a trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised. So, so that those who have died will be, be raised and, and they will um, be reunited with their new body. Now that, in that sentence right there, you might very well be putting a question mark on your paper. Good job to put a question mark on your paper right there because that's where you need to pick up heaven, hell, life after death. But you see, what we have here is we have this understanding of the importance of the coming and gathering. So think about it for a moment. Think about this as we move into the next subject. Think about why this church would be shaken. If they were receiving false teaching that they missed the coming and gathering, think about what they've missed. They've missed this, you know, 
imper- this perishable becoming imperishable. They've missed this coming of Jesus Christ that is going to uh, unite them with their imperishable body where they will be present with the Lord forever. With all this suffering and judgment that's coming around them, they're beginning to be shaken in their faith because if we missed it, what is there to look forward to? Should we really hope in Jesus Christ? Because if we've missed it, and we've missed that coming and gathering, we know what the next event is. We know what's coming next. The day of the Lord is coming. And so this would begin to shake and rattle them. And, and what Paul is doing is he is bringing them to the point of understanding, one, you haven't missed it. Keep looking forward with hope. The time is coming. Have the attitude for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. The end of chapter 4, he says, comfort one another with these words. And so here we, we have with um, the, the idea now that we're going to walk through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to walk uh, through the, the day of the Lord. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 11. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know the full weight of the day of the Lord. They'll come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains. Upon a woman will come upon them suddenly like labor pains and with a child and they will not escape. But brethren, you are not in darkness that that day would overtake you. You are sons of light and sons of day and we're not night or darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So uh, go back down to verse 9. For God has not destined us as believers for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two things we want to look at here. First is the day of the Lord, and we know that it'll come like a thief in the night. All right, and it, it will come when people are saying peace and safety. Now, the interesting thing that comes out of that comment of peace and safety and and just wrapping my mind around that is the very fact that uh, why would unbelievers and people who are uh, sitting there saying peace and safety, well, look who's on the throne. If you have one displaying themselves as God and doing all of these wonderful, um, wonderful signs and wonders, but really deceiving, yet people are worshiping him, as the King Almighty and the one who is ruling over them, they are deceived to believe that under that leadership they are in peace and safety. But the reality is that coming day, as they cry peace and safety, Jesus will return and it will be a day of destruction. Uh, Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, he says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day is coming. Surely it is near. Now listen to this 
day of the Lord that's being described. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn spreads over the mountain, there's a great and mighty people. There's never been anything like it, and there will never be anything like it again to the years of the many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but it is a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Uh, sound like a, a great day? Sound like a, a, a day to celebrate? A day to cry peace and safety? No, this is a day of destruction. This is a day of judgment upon believers. A day that no one has ever seen before and will never see again. Uh, creation will be affected by the day. The, the sun and the stars and the moon will go, will go dark. Nothing will escape. Listen, uh, before them there's earthquakes. The heavens tremble, verse 10. The sun and the moon grow dark. The stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Yet now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. This is a day of destruction. Joel chapter 3 expands on the day of the Lord. And uh, the end of chapter 2, first verse 31, before the, um, before the great day, awesome day of the Lord comes, it will come about whoever calls on my name will be delivered before that day. So uh, I want to come back to that passage in a minute. Joel chapter 3 talks about how God will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. They will enter into judgment with them there. And on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They traded a boy for a harlot, a solid and sold a girl for wine and uh, that they may drink. Uh, and then God begins to lay out all the judgments against the nations. Uh, for the day is of the Lord is near, verse 14 of Joel chapter 3, uh, in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will tremble. This is the day of judgment. This is the day of destruction. This is the day that will come like a thief in the night, and those who have come up against God's people, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, will be repaid for the affliction they have brought upon Christians and God's people. This is a day that we as believers would be ones that would not have to worry about. Because we're not destined for wrath. Listen to what Joel chapter 2 uh, verse 28 is pre, all right, pre coming and gathering 
post-death and resurrection of Jesus. It will come out about after this. All right, after what? After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. That I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants. I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'll display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will be, uh, it will come about that whoever calls on my name uh, will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. And the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So, uh, if you want, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, you can write Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, and, and the Holy Spirit, the sign of uh, true salvation. And so, here you have now that those who are saved will escape the wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that Jesus is the one who rescues us for the wrath to come. Ephesians 2, we are not destined for wrath. Um, for 2 Thessalonians, we are not destined for wrath, that we are saved. In chapter 2, he says that um, for this reason, or sorry, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God's, God has chosen you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit in faith and in truth. So we are not ones who are destined for wrath. We are, as Christians, we are saved from that day. We are saved from that day of destruction. Now, to wrap up this podcast, I want to take you to one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And uh, my plan moving forward after 2 Thessalonians and after the Hold Fast Conference. So in Hold Fast Conference, we'll be working through 1 Peter with Kay and David. And then I'm going to go through the podcast in a number of weeks leading into Christmas and into a little bit into the new year, walking through 2 Peter. Uh, I just love 2 Peter. And so hopefully you will participate and you will join in studying through this book. It's a powerful three chapters. So uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter, starting at verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any of you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now listen to this, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the, um, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Uh, Joel chapter 2, um, when you're reading through that and you're looking at a good chunk of that, it's describing a fire that's running across the earth. That when you look forward, you see the beauty of the land like Eden. But when you look behind, it's destruction, desolation, nothing left. Uh, like this flame is described as one that can leap 
over mountains and continue on. As this is being recorded, you could just turn on the news and and look at how these California wild wildfires are moving across the land. There's wildfires in Canada as well, but they just continue to go across and the the role is really to try and contain them and stop them from going. But with windy days, just a small spark and a small flame can jump and keep the fire going. And this here is that nothing on this earth will escape this fire, this destruction. Everything will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed, verse 11, in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So the very interesting thing about this passage in Second Peter, and I promise we'll go deeper on it when we do the Second Peter podcast, but you have in verse 10 a direct reference to the day of the Lord. This is the topic that we're looking at. This day of judgment where those who are not saved and unbelievers will stand before God that they will stand there and be judged for their behavior. They'll be judged for the way they treated God's people. They will be repaid with affliction. This is all going to happen, the ultimate judgment which leads to the lake of fire. Read the book, study the book, Heaven, Hell, Life After Death. I cannot recommend it enough. And so what you have is that you have in verse 12 that there's another description which seems to be this coming day of God. Well, the first thing as good Bible study students is we'd want to ask ourselves, is there a difference between the coming day of the Lord and the coming day of God? Is it the same day? Is it different days where we'd appoint them out? Is this a Friday and a Saturday or a Saturday and Sunday? What exactly might Peter be referring to in the fact that this could potentially be two separate days? Well, this is what scholars have debated over, over time, whether they are one day or two separate days. Or, uh, for the purposes of where we're at, might they be two different outlooks? Now, you don't want to run to the bank with, with Mark said that, that it's really not two different days when many scholars might point to it being two different days. Many might point to it as one day. But just when I observe simply the text, there is a coming day of the Lord which is very closely associated with judgment and destruction. That Jesus will come back, that he will slay the lawless one, and that there will be judgment on believers, that the earth will be burnt up, refined, walked through the fire, for what purpose? So that at the end of this judgment, that there would be the setting up of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, might the day of God be closely connected, not to the wrath, but to the eternal reign of God on the new heavens and the new earth. 
because what he says in verse 13 is a contrast to the day of the Lord in which he says believers ought to be looking for. Uh, well, verse 12 says they look for and hasten the coming day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and elements will melt with intense heat. But according to my promise, we believers are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our job. I want to say that as we wrap up, we really have two jobs. One is populate heaven and plunder hell. But we need to do this with our hope in Jesus Christ as though we are looking for the future. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. It is better for me to be present with the Lord and absent from my perishable body than it is to be in my perishable body and absent from the Lord. We must continue to be a people who keep our eyes fixed on the coming day of Jesus, for the com- fixing our eyes on the coming and gathering. Now, now here's the most interesting part. Even when I uh, recorded the First Thessalonians podcasts, I um, made the statement that eschatology is for encouragement, not debate. And yet here we are, um, you know, removed thousand plus years, even more, uh, from when all of these teachings on the end times of Jesus Christ were put on parchment, when they were formed and shaped into the scriptures that we have today by the very voice of God. And, and when you bring up the topics of the day of the Lord, you bring up the topic of the rapture, you bring up the discussion about the day of God. Do you know the number one thing that comes through is the when? Well, when do you think that takes place? Do you think it takes place before this? Do you think it already took place at AD 70 when uh, Titus Flavius destroyed the temple and now Jesus is reigning here on earth now? Uh, Let's, let's discuss this. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, all millennial, all of these things? And, and I'm looking through the scriptures, and I'm looking at the very fact that Paul says in both chapters of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, one, take comfort in these words, and secondly, don't be shaken by what you're hearing around the world. The sole purpose of all of this is for you and I to be encouraged in the very fact that as true believers of Jesus Christ, that we are not destined for wrath, that we will not face the eternal judgment of Jesus Christ, that we will not be sent to an eternal fire for life if we are truly Christians. That really our judgment according to our timeline is happening now that we are facing suffering and persecution in our life so proved to show that our faith is true and genuine and that we are ready for the coming day of Jesus, for the perusia, for the gathering, for the rapture, for when Jesus will bring us and catch us up 
in the air? Will we be ready for that? And the very fact that some of us will not be here when that coming and gathering happens. So will we be ready and prepared and have lived a life of glory and honor in Jesus Christ to the day that we take our last breath on this earth? Because the way we live on this earth, we will face Jesus Christ. And we will stand before him and make an account for whether our faith was genuine. And when we stand before Jesus to so prove that our faith is genuine, we will have to answer for that. And he will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or he will tell us he did not know him. One of the uh, passages that I want to leave you with is, is Isaiah uh, chapter 66. And uh, at the end of Isaiah chapter 66, uh, there is a few verses that are just a constant reminder to, to have a gut check and a heart check at every moment of the day in the way that I live, live my life. I mean, we're not perfect. We have a Savior. We, we need to be aware and work and process towards sanctification. We should not be owned by sin, but we do know that we still have faults and, and make mistakes and have slip-ups. But listen to what he says in verse 22 of Isaiah 66. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Um, really quickly, uh, what would be your definition of all? Well, that's a simple answer. Everyone. Not one person, dead or alive, go read Heaven, Hell, Life After Death. Can't, can't recommend that enough, folks. Every single person will bow before Jesus. No one will escape that. They'll either be judged to determine whether their faith is genuine or they will stand before him in that final day of judgment. When everybody stands before him, listen to how the outcome of this bowing before. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. Their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and they will be in abhorrence to all mankind. When I think about this, uh, I try to wrap my brain around that we as believers will look on those who have transgressed against Jesus and will be sick to our stomachs that they rejected God and his word. You see, the comfort in all of this is the knowledge of where we truly stand. But the second part of this is it should create a greater urgency for you and I to fulfill our mission of populate heaven 
and plunder hell. You see, the day of the Lord is going to be like nothing we have ever seen before or will ever see again. And you know, there are people in our own families, there are people that we are very close to that have not professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that is the day that they are headed for. The day of doom and gloom and fire and destruction. They are destined for the wrath of God. They are in the perishable. They have not put on the imperishable. And you see, we can't hide the gospel any longer. We can't hold it for ourselves. This world that we live in is filled with hate. There is so many disgusting things happening in this world that there is such a desperate need for the gospel. And God has given us the wonderful privilege, you and I, to be his messengers of truth. So you need to take it. You need to give it to your loved ones. You need to make sure they understand that there is a day of wrath. That those who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ are headed for that destruction. That the careers and the money and the safety nets and everything that they're doing on this earth will not make them a better person. It will not make them out to be saved from this wrath to come because their bank accounts, their homes, their cars, their money, everything they've put their security in will be burned up and destroyed. But the only thing that will survive is you by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not destined for wrath. Be hopeful in that. Don't argue over the eschatology points. It's for encouragement, not debate. Father, we thank you again. Lord, the truth that comes from your scriptures. May we be people who understand the urgency of getting the gospel truth out, but also, Lord, be people who are living a life that brings glory and honor to you. Father, it's so hard to be great witnesses in the world to your to your gospel truth and how it's transformed our lives when we live a life that is still so worldly. We look like hypocrites, Lord. That's the number one complaint that those who are unsaved speak of the church, that we're hypocrites. So Father, help us to refine our faith. Help us to be people who have a hunger for your God's word and to be transformed by it. Lord, I pray that uh, even um, you would give myself opportunities to, to just further share the truth of the gospel with those who need to hear it most. I can even think right now in the, in the front of my brain at least five people that are in my life right now on a regular basis who do not profess your name. Open that door, Lord. Begin to do your work by the power of the Spirit and give me the courage to share the truth unabashed, unworried because it's your work on the cross that is the power of God for salvation so we thank you again in Jesus name we pray Amen Thank you for listening 
For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.